Welcome to the Conan Doyle Casebook, where there's always a story to tell. Well, welcome to our podcast um, with the Conan Doyle Casebook here at the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle Centre. And tonight, my guest is Jamie Kostorfan, who's manager of the City of the Dead tour in Edinburgh here. And tonight, we are going to be talking about Greyfriars Kirkyard. Good evening, Jamie. Good evening. So tell me, tell me a little bit about your interest in Greyfriars Kirkyard. Well... I'm from St Andrews originally on the East Coast, which obviously St Andrews has got this abundance of uh, its own ghost stories and things like that. So um, ghosts have always been a part, you know, from when I was growing up. You know, the, the William T. Linskill's book, the the ghost stories of uh, St Andrews, was one of the one of my most favourite books when I was growing up. So it's always been, you know, drawn to it. It wasn't until um, I mean, obviously I'd heard of Greyfriars and things like that before, but I never really visited Greyfriars really. Um, until around about, it was about 2006 or so, um, I'd read a book called uh, The Ghost That Haunted Itself by John Andrew Henderson um, about about Greyfriars and this this new thing that was happening called the Mackenzie Poltergeist, uh, which really got me interested. So um, I ended up loving that book and I travelled over to Edinburgh to Greyfriars from St Andrews and I kind of fell in love with the place. But, you know, even back then, I didn't think, you know, for for a second that one day I'd be actually running the tour company that I was reading about in that book, you know. So um, nowadays, obviously, I mean, I, I've been with City of the Dead Tours now for 15 years and uh, it's my office is in Greyfriars. So, you know, it, it is my everyday life is being in Greyfriars Kirkyard. So it is, it is my second home and it's, it is kind of like uh, our back garden, if you wish. It's a phenomenal place. And of course, one of the famous stories in Great Fires is Wee Bobby the Dog. Of course. <laughs> There's master that's that's buried there. Just as you really go into the entrance and just a little bit off to the, the right, I think. It's well, I mean, if you go in the entrance, it's uh, well, yeah, I mean uh, the, 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 the memorial stone to the dog is straight ahead of you when you go in the main gate in the right in front of the church. Um but then yeah, down to the right, um, down past uh, the first sort of tabletop graves on uh, the left-hand side, down the right-hand side path. Very confusing. Um, yeah, you've got the, the memorial stone to to uh, the, the 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 master, uh, John Gray, and to James Brown, um, who was the sexton of the graveyard at Bobby Tyne. And he looked after the graveyard and things like that. So I understand that the graveyard goes round about back to the 16th century when, when burials first took place. So there's quite a history to it. Oh, there's a lot of history to the ground. I mean, when, I mean, that's, I mean, from, I would say from the early, you know, kind of early to mid 1500s, because you had the the, the Greyfriars Monastery on the grounds at the bottom of the graveyard, which is now the North uh, Yard. That was what founded the ground. You know, that's where Greyfriars gets its name from, is from the monastery, um, you know, the monks and their grey habits. So, I mean, obviously the monk burials would have been down there, you know, for, for you know, way back then. 
But then, yeah, I mean, in the later 1500s, uh, James Earl Morton and things, uh, you know, bodies interred there. Well, what was left of his body after he was executed. You know, so, yeah, I mean, going right back to to the, to the mid-1500s, absolutely, it's, it's, it's been a burial ground. And it's a place, of course, we walk, we walk past daily and, and we visit, but it kind of, from my experience, becomes a different place at night. It's not a place I really want to... Or certainly, my on my own venture into. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's psychological or not. To be honest with you, um, you know, because I've spent a lot of time days and nights in that place, um, you know, various times and nights, um, wandering about. I mean, I've I've never felt unsafe in the graveyard, um, you know. Um, but you know, I, I I don't know if it's just one of these, you know, like like the myths about how every you know graveyard and every old house has got a ghost, and I don't know if it's a psychological thing. You know, how people think, oh, you can't go in there at night time, spooky. Oh, you know, it's kind of, but yeah, I mean, there is a small chance that, well, to a medium chance that uh, that the Mackenzie Polar guys will rip you apart. So, you know, maybe people have got, uh, you know, <laughs> the kind of right to feel a bit threatened by that, you know. <laughs> and that leads us on brilliantly to the story of the Mackenzie Poltergeist. Absolutely. I mean, uh, like I was just saying to you before we started the recording, um, you know, there, there is a lot of misinformation about that out there about the Mackenzie Poltergeist. You know, things have grown legs over time. A lot of tour groups uh, have adapted the story to suit their own tours. Um, so, I mean, going right back to when the first accounts happened was way back in 1999. At this point, it wasn't called anything. You know, it was just these strange things happening within the Covenanters' prison area of Greyfriars. That's when the prison area was open to the public. You know, you could walk around the prison. It was it, it was part of Greyfriars. So strange things. I mean, it, it made kind of local news. Um, these strange things happening. There was a lot of ambulances called for people by members of the public or people who were with the people who had collapsed at this one area in the prison area, or coming out with these strange marks. So it obviously made a little bit of news, um, and the council took the decision to obviously lock the gates. Um, it's their land. It's the council land. They, you know, generally are not insured for graveyards. People are, you know, dead when they get there. So, you know, for safety elements and things like that, and for a media storm, basically they just locked the gate. Said, well, that 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 solves the problem. Um, they're not admitting any way that things happened, but they're not denying anything happened. You know, they just locked the gates, and that's when um, the owner of the company, Jan Andrew Henderson of City of the Dead, um, Jan was researching these strange things for. for for a book, he was going to bring a book out about it because it, you know, he he was living on Candlemaker Road at that time, overlooking the graveyard. So he went to the council and asked why the gates were closed, and you know he was conducting you know experiments and things like that for this book. So basically, they said no, tough, they're locked. End of story. Um, so he wasn't, you know, to be deflated. This was a big thing. He'd already done a lot of research. He wasn't about to, you know, let it go. So what he did is he had to think about it. And he went back to the council um, and showed them public liability insurance and said, look, blah, 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 this is a story. I want to take people in there and get their experiences for research. And, you know, this is the deal. And 2021, almost 22 years later, we've still got the keys and we're still, basically, we're still researching this thing. Now, the first person to call it the Mackenzie Poltergeist was indeed Jan. In his book, The Ghost of Haunted Itself, that was the book that was being written about these strange occurrences in Greyfriars. So when he released it in 2001, that was the first time the public heard anything about the Mackenzie Poltergeist. He had to call it something. 
you know, to call it the thingy or something like that, you know, this the thing. I think that's already been done. So, you know, you have to call it something. So where does the Mackenzie connection come into it? You know, why why is it called the Mackenzie Poltergeist? Basically, we have no evidence that it's anything to do with George Mackenzie. Like I said, Jan had to call it something. The reason he called it the Mackenzie Poltergeist is just before these strange accounts happened, there was a homeless man uh, broke into the Mackenzie Mausoleum within the graveyard area, the main yard. It was it was a cold night, and he was just basically looking for somewhere to stay. So I mean, the gate, the doors at that time, as as they are now, were wood, very easy to push in. I mean, they're now double bolted and padlocked. Back then, they weren't so secure because nobody really wanted to break in the mausoleums, you know. Um, so he managed to get in. Now, in the Mackenzie Mausoleum itself, there's the level you see through the doors. Now, there's a gate in the floor. It's like a gate that's put into the floor, like an iron gate. Now, you lift that gate and that lets you get to the steps that go down to the burial chamber. So what he did is because the wind was rattling through, you know, the the, the mausoleum, because there is a big bit in the back as well where you can actually enter and exit. Not anymore, but there was. So he went down. And now, obviously, nobody had been down there, you know, for a couple of hundred years. The floor was very rotten. Now, when you get down there, there's three coffins laid out just on concrete uh, pillars kind of thing. So... As he put his feet onto the wooden floor down in the burial chamber, his foot went through the floor. And as it done that, he's grabbed onto the nearest thing he could grab, as people do when you're falling, you try and grab anything you can. And it just so happened he grabbed George Mackenzie's coffin. And at that point, the coffin fell down with him and it went through the floor with him. Now, below the floor, that's an old burial chamber that stood there before George Mackenzie's mausoleum was built. There's a lot of stories out there saying it's a plague dump. Uh, that's totally, totally false. Uh, plague victims were not buried in parish graveyards. Their bodies were diseased. They were not buried in graveyards. Plus, with the the, the last outbreak of plague in 1645, um, there was too many bodies to bury in graveyards, even on today's standards. You know, we we lost over 60% of the population. You know, uh, people were not buried in graveyards. It would just, you know, if that was the case, graveyards would now be about the size of Arthur's seat. <laughs> You know, um, they were buried in pits outside the city walls. So um, he fell through the floor. He landed in the old burial chamber of the Forrester family. We know that because we've got the Book of Interments. It tells us that in the Greyfriars Book of Interments, the family that were there, seven children of the Forrester family, whose mausoleum stood before George Mackenzie's mausoleum was built. So they actually knocked this one down and put George Mackenzie's one there because he specifically said he wanted to be buried exactly that space and he designed that mausoleum himself so he saw it before he died um so that's what that homeless guy fell into was that basically the old burial chamber and that was really the first time not long after that the first events started to happen within the area of one tomb in the covenanters prison not george mckenzie's mausoleum not that one it's in the Covenanters prison. It started happening there for some reason, um, around this one tomb, um, which is the Dundas family tomb. So there is no connection to George Mackenzie with that tomb at all. Um, we have no idea why it started there, but it could be purely coincidence. There is, like I said, there is no evidence to say it's anything to do with George Mackenzie. Mm -hmm. But the strange things, more and more, basically the game went up a notch when that happened, and things really started happening. So did so, George Mackenzie have any association with the Covenanters prison? 
Well, I mean, he was the man. I mean, he was Lord Advocate at the time. You know, he was uh, basically born under King Charles. He was the lawmaker in Scotland. Um, you know, he he was given the job to round up the Covenanters because of their obviously their beliefs and things. I mean, <laughs> basically, I mean, I've always said this about George Mackenzie. I mean, I don't think he was a bad man. You know, he he was originally in witch trials, standing up for witches. You know, it was him that brought across the 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 whole defence of do you really think this person in front of you can turn itself into a cat? You know, you know, to bring realism into these witch hunts, and uh, so he defended the witches. He he founded the Advocates Library in Edinburgh. You know, he worked his whole life in law to get to basically one under the king. He made the laws in Scotland. So when the king asks you to do something, when you've got a paranoid king such as a Stuart king, and um, you know you you're either against the king or you're with the king. So if George Mackenzie had said, look, Charles, you know, let's have a sit down. These people at the start here, they just want their prayer books back. They want, you know, they they they, they, they say, God save the king. With no, no harm to the king or the monarchy. They just don't see you as the head of the church. Give them the prayer books back. So I think George Mackenzie was put into a, a sticky situation, basically, that he couldn't really get out of. If it wasn't him, he'd be executed. It'd be somebody else that would do it. And but he never killed anybody with his own hands. You know, um, he, he was certainly in charge of the, the, the troops rounding the Covenanters up, you know, but he never physically, you know, touched a Covenanter himself with his, old, with his own hands. He's not in control of his sergeants, of his, you know, majors and things like that in the army. So what they do, you know, basically they're, they're given a job, make them see their ways, the error of their ways, you know, and then, of course, we had 50 years of killing after it, you know, um, so... It was a it was a whole different time, you know. It's impossible to try and think and put yourself in a mental situation like that because we we will never know. So it was a hard situation, but I mean, there was allegedly a curse put on his body to say that his soul would never rest in Greyfriars because of the one thousand two hundred men that he had imprisoned in the huge area that was behind what is now his mausoleum, is called the Covenanters' prison, where one thousand two hundred men were basically kept there. Uh, after the Battle of Bothwell Brig, it was the only place big enough in Edinburgh to hold that many men. And of course, they, it was the world's first concentration camp. Mm-hmm. It was basically the size of a football pitch, uh, long before the buildings on Forest Road, and long before Forest Road was there. You know, it ran from where it starts now at the at the corner um, of of the graveyard, right along right along where basically was now a quarter mile at the back, along to Forest Road, a huge big grass area that was going to be used for burials. But it was, yeah, it was the world's first concentration camp. And under the orders of George Mackenzie, these 1,200 men were kept there in extreme conditions. Um, 800 of them lost their life behind those gates and, under and, his orders. And interestingly, as you just said earlier, the, the Mackenzie mausoleum is really just yards away from the mm, yeah. of prison. You can walk yeah. a few steps. Yes, absolutely. It's, I mean, it's less than 100 yards from the gates. And ba- well, basically, I mean, if you think about it, before the buildings, when the prison was a prison, that was actually in line with it. it was, you know, because the pr- prison ran right behind that wall, right behind his own Muslim. So he was, you know, right beside it, he, you know, practically inside it. So going, going back to the time where this kind of paranormal, you know, type of activity started taking place, um, how is a how has it increased or not since then? And, and how did it become associated more round about the Mackenzie Mausoleum? I mean, I mean, most of it, I mean, a lot of that does come online. I mean, we've had no reports really of 
you know, of any of the reports we've got, we've got over 3,000 eyewitness accounts now. Obviously, the whole point of the tours was to to keep researching this this phenomenon, and which is what we do. So we collect all the all the all the reports from people, even people who have not been on tours but they've had experiences in the graveyard. And the thing is, I mean, all the reports we've got, it, it's all focused around either in the prison or at the prison gates. You know, the Mackenzie Mausoleum just. The only times I've ever heard stories about the Mackenzie Mausoleum and attacks on people is really when there's other tour groups in there talking about attacks on people and other things happening at the Mackenzie Mausoleum. So again, this is down to, you know, adaptations of the story to suit other people's tours because, you know, they don't have access to the prison. So then they adapt the story to say that this is where the attacks happen. And before you know it, the original Black Mausoleum, which is still the Black Mausoleum, is in the Covenanters prison. That is the Black Mausoleum. That's where the attacks happen. Mackenzie's Mausoleum is black and big, and it's a mausoleum, but it's not the mausoleum. But of course, over time, internet has all changed, so now the Black Mausoleum is indeed Mackenzie's Mausoleum, and that's where all the attacks happen. And it, it, it's, there's, yeah, there's a lot of misinformation, whereas if everybody read the original book to get the story, they would know that the Black Mausoleum is in the prison area where the attacks happen. It's all very confusing. So <laughs> it's <what>? certainly... <laughs> What type of attacks have happened or what has been the most common type of report that's come in? The most common type of report is the collapses and the knockouts. Um, not fainting. You know, people know you're going to faint, you get a bit dizzy, you get a bit hot, you need to sit down, you're like, oh God, I mean, you know, you get warning that your body says, well, there's something not right here. Uh, a knockout is like a hypnotist has come up and just went, sleep. One minute they're fine, they could be joking with a friend or talking to a friend or shuffling about, you know, or, you know, laughing or something and suddenly bang, straight down. That's certainly the most common. Um, other reports are obviously the, the the burns, the scratches, the bite marks, uh, the the bruises, the the, the handprints. That's, that's, that's a common one as well. Um, I've never really, I mean, although we've got all the accounts, I've never actually statistically went down and through every single one of them, and you know, and marked down each in a category, um, which is maybe something that. You know, one day if uh, things get quiet, I can maybe sit down and start attempting to do and you know, so we can get a rough idea, indication of what's the more popular kind of thing. Uh, but certainly, I mean, we could go months without anything happening on any tours, you know. Um, obviously, this, whatever it is, it's not a, not a performing monkey. Uh, you know, we can't start it or stop it. And some people do come on the tours, you know, with high expectancies, you know, and they get a bit disappointed when nothing happens. But, you know, that's unfortunately... You know, one of these things, whereas one night we could have a tour where five people are affected or, as I like to call it, interacted with, mm -hmm. you know, um, and that could range from the bite marks, the punches, the, the bruises, the scratches. Some people don't even notice it's happened until they get home, like you said later on um, that night or coming out of shower and suddenly they've got, you know, three big scratches right down their back. Um, they don't even see it. They don't even feel it. You know, a lot of people don't feel it until somebody else points it out. What's that mark? What's that on you? So, you know, it varies. It's, uh, it, it's certainly quite unique for a Poltergeist case, whatever, because I think, if I'm not right, this must now be the most, the longest-running Poltergeist case in history. I think the, the first time I, I suppose, kind of interacted in some way with it, and we're speaking about this earlier, was um, it was the press preview at one of the ghost fests going back. And, of course, I said to you earlier, we were in various places. We were in Mary King's Close, we were in the vaults, we were in the Covenanters' prison, and at the mausoleum as well. 
And I never felt anything. It wasn't until the next day when I got up, went to have a shower, and I had these bruises of handprints on my chest, and I hadn't felt anything, but they were so noticeable. Yeah, that's right. As a, but that's why it's classed as a phenomenon, you know, because, I mean, a lot of uh, psychologists and stuff come on and um, you say, oh, well, they must, you know, the scratches, they can do it to themselves when they're, you know, subconsciously do it to themselves, uh, you know, or they work themselves into a frenzy. But again, you know, once you've witnessed these things over the years, we know what's right. We know what's not right. We know when people are pulling our legs. We know when something's serious. People can't scratch themselves first time, as in three, like, cat scratches under, you know, four or five layers of clothes. You know, or even through leather boots or something like that when it comes on their feet or something. People can't do that to themselves. If you're standing in the Black Mausoleum with maybe another 20 people under normal circumstances, not during COVID, of course, because we're restricted. But, you know, when you're standing there with up to even 35 people, if something so much as even flinches, people beside them are quick enough to turn around and go, what are you up to? People can't get away with anything in a group like that in that situation. So I'm sorry, but the whole... People do it to themselves, and that 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 is impossible. It's not, and they're not like human scratches; they're like cat scratches, three lines right down the skin, and people can't do that to themselves. Yeah, is there is there any other? I mean, is it McKenzie? I, I know I'm calling it the McKenzie Poulter guys, but is there anything else in the the courtyard that seems to make an appearance? Is that the main the main entity, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the. I think, I mean, you know, every tour group comes into there talks about, you know, the Mackenzie Court against it is the selling point um, for such, certainly sometimes. Um, that is, he's a kind of headline act, if you wish. Um, supporting acts, I mean, I believe you've got, um, uh, there is supposedly the ghost of the uh, little dog Bobby, I believe. Uh, certain windy nights you can hear him howling. Uh, I tend to think that's probably some of the, some of the, you know, some of the drunks on the grass market coming back from the pub or a lock-in or something like that, more more than likely. But um, I think, no, I mean, George McKenzie is certainly the headline act in Greyfriars and nothing else seems to be, you know, uh, as popular for dark tourism than, than him. I did hear a story, because when you go to the Black Mausoleum, I mean, it is, although it's, it's the building's sound, it could do with a bit of repair in mm. places. And I did hear a story that the reason that it's not repaired or, or not brought up to um, how it should be is because um, the authorities um, do not want to do anything because of the because of who he was, of yeah. who he was, which I think I then we were talking about earlier. You know the the misconception of how he's how he's portrayed now. Um, they won't fix it because they feel it would be too respectful (laughs) to him. As a a stakeholder of Greyfriars, um, I'm I'm, I'm on the stakeholder board of Greyfriars, so along with the church, uh, uh, Richard Fraser, the minister, along with the the heads of graveyards of Edinburgh City Council, we have our monthly meetings. We make basically decisions about the graveyard, the whole new tour guide registration scheme and everything. That's, that's, That's all down to us wanted to preserve the graveyard so I can categorically tell you no that is entirely false the problem being quite frankly to put it bluntly the council have a tiny 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 budget for 42 graveyards in Edinburgh and on paper budget terms no graveyard is different to any other graveyard 
So the budget has to be split equally. The Martyrs Monument uh, down in Greyfriars, down uh, towards the Grass Market Gate, that was recently fixed over a three-year period. And basically the council didn't get any change out of £85,000 to repair that monument. So you can imagine the cost it would cost to go into George Mackenzie's mausoleum to fix it. They repair it as much as they can. Uh, they're very... Uh, I mean, there's been a lot of rubbish put in because the side bits are broken. Uh, there has been a lot of cleanup done. The bud layer is the main problem coming out. Obviously, it's grown in most tombs in Greyfire, so unfortunately, it's right up in the roof and it's pushing some of the bricks out. Uh, that is getting treated. So, no, um, it has nothing to do with who's buried. Uh, the council do not, you know, leave it because of who he was. You know, all historic monuments and tombs are all treated equally, no matter if they have the, the name of bloody or not. And again, um, it's, it's these stories that just come out of nowhere and embellished and how they change as well. Um, but, you know, just going back to it, when we started, we are talking about um, Wee Bobby's grave. Of course, the number of wee gifts that are left um, yes. around about there for Bobby when, when folk come in and visit. He must yes. be a very, he's a popular wee dog, Edinburgh's number one dog. Indeed. Well, I mean, that, 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 that's a misconception in itself right there. Um, it's the grave. A lot of people come in and go, oh, here's the grave, the grave for our Bobby, when, it, when, it's, when it's really not. Uh, the dog isn't buried there. Uh, that's his memorial stone. Right. Um, the, you know, it is a Christian burial ground. There's no way the church were moving. The dog was not buried in Greyfriars. Um, you know, he wasn't allowed to be buried in Greyfriars, no matter how famous this little dog was. Um, he's buried just outside the graveyard, near enough in front of the art shop. Um, ah, but no... Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you've got to remember that stone was only put there in 1981. You know, before then, there was absolutely nothing there. Um, but no, the, the dog was never allowed to be buried in Griffiths. Um, But yeah, people come up. I mean, the original, uh, the tradition about it was that local kids who lost their own pets, um, to remember them by, they would take their old dog toys or cat toys or whatever, and they would put them on the, the Bobby's memorial stone when it first got installed. So that's where that tradition comes from. It is actually quite a long tradition, although it did stop for a while. But now people leave sticks and dog treats and dolls and bottles of Buckfast and some coinage, uh, some children, uh, tickets, train tickets, uh, dog food, cat food. Oh, we've had it all. Absolutely <laughs> had it all. So just to clarify, Bobby himself is buried near enough at the art shop, which is just a few yards up from the gate. Just in front of the art shop, yeah, yeah, before the area was developed like it is now. Um, so, yeah, no, no, the dog was never in. Yeah, no, that, that memorial stone was just put there because it's just as you go in the graveyard. And his master is buried in in the courtyard. Or is yeah, that... <laughs> well, maybe we'll save that for a different podcast. Excellent. So, there is a reason. Basically, John Gray's name is not on the main board as you come in Greyfriars. Okay. That's all the famous people. I mean, this guy's had a Disney movie made about him. You'd exactly. think he would get his name on the board. He's not there. Exactly. Then there is a reason. But we'll save that for another one. That's a story for another day. It's been Absolutely. fascinating speaking to you. And if anyone wants to find out more about the tours and yourself, where can they go to? Uh, if you just check our website out, uh, cityofthedeadtours.com, uh, all the tours are listed there and about the history of us and the the true story about the Mackenzie Poltergeist. Uh, I said, I mean, if there was an official Mackenzie Poltergeist tour, it would certainly be us. You know, we've, we've been there from day one. We called it the Mackenzie Poltergeist, you know, so um, and our tours are, are kind of different, very informal, but, you know, we... We hopefully, I mean, you'll get attacked by a poltergeist because it's great for business, but you know, but but we can't promise it, unfortunately. 
But if anyone wants to find out more information, they go to the, the City of the Dead tour website. Absolutely. But it's been fascinating speaking to you, Jamie. I hope you come back at some point and we can talk about the other stories we've kind of made <laughs> with the Kirkyard as well. But thank you very much. Thank you. No problem. Thank you.